be seated if you want or stand. <laughs> this is, my name is Mary Carol Schoberg, and the reading today is from the Good News According to Luke, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Listen for the word of God. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, that man had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of God? the Most High God. I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times that spirit had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked the man, What is your name? The man said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these swine. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Then the swine herds saw what had happened. They ran off and told, in the city, told of it in the city and the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And these people were afraid. Those who had seen it told the others how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might remain with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So the man went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to us, the church.
Let us pray. Lord, our fears are many. Our fears are legion. They hold us captive and have nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to turn but to you. We pray that you cast out all those things that bind our hearts and bind us to you in their place. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's scripture begins with Jesus and co arriving in a boat in an area called Garasa. It's a unique journey because it's the only time in Luke's story of Jesus where Jesus ministers to an area that is primarily Gentile. This is a Roman colony in the middle of Judea. Most of the time, Jesus is hanging out in areas primarily populated by Jews, these people who are already God's people. In Jerasa, though, most people are pagans, non-Jews, unbelievers. You could say it's like Jesus hopped a flight from like rural Alberta to Vancouver. <laughs> he's, in, he's in pagan territory. <laughs> as soon as Jesus' sandal sets down on this pagan shore, though, he is met by a naked man. A jarring sight no matter where you drop your anchor. Not only is this guy clothingless, clothing less, though, he's also homeless. He doesn't live in town, but he lives out in the graveyard under the stars. Why? Well, we're told that it's because he has a demon. He has plural demons. In fact, these spirits constantly torment him, which makes him dangerous to himself and others. The townspeople try to lock him up and guard him, but it's got so bad that he busts his chains and he's driven away into the wild. This man's life is one of wretched torment. It's not good. This tormented guy sees Jesus stepping off the boat, and he does... What he does is fall down on the ground before Jesus at his feet. And Jesus, being Jesus, immediately orders his demon to take a hike. And you know, you'd think that this would be exactly what this guy is looking for, considering he's suffering and alienated from everybody he knows. But no, instead of rejoicing, this guy interrupts this impromptu exorcism by yelling at Jesus, Jesus, son of the living God, what have you got to do with me? What have you got to do with me? I beg you not to torment me. And pretty soon we know that it's not just the guy speaking, because when Jesus asks the guy his name, he replies, Legion, for we are many. A legion being a force of five or 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army, this guy's got an army of oppressions at work in him, and he doesn't even have a real name. 
anymore. He's been completely defined by what robs him of joy and health, what hinders him and keeps him bound by all those things that keep, keep him from experiencing life in the full. His demons are almost all that is left of him. They beg Jesus to stay. Don't send us to the abyss. Don't order us back to where we came from, they say, begging Jesus to stick around. Now, I'll be honest, I had a tough time figuring out where to go with the sermon this week, a little writer's block maybe, but also on account of the topic, demons. You know, the worldview of the New Testament along with the worldview of about just every other faith tradition, from Buddhism to Islam to First Nations, assumes a hidden world of spirits intertwined with our own. Some good, some bad. And for us modern Western types, though, the spirit world is more or less confined to the screen, right? Horror movies, HBO, Disney+, True Blood. Demon talk is more likely to get you a trip to the psych ward than any serious consideration by relevant authorities, including the church sometimes. So this week, I kind of felt like the possessed man saying, Jesus, the Son of God, how of what have you to do, have to do with us? We rise, we, we wise, rational, modern people. We just don't do demons. What does this have to do with us? And yet, of course, there's strange things happening every day. A mentor of mine, average, ordinary, scientifically-minded, liberal United Church minister was once present at an exorcism, and while he didn't completely understand what was going on, he's now convinced that what he witnessed was real. And I've experienced some, you could say, spooky things myself. It's all over the scriptures. I mean, Jesus is constantly dealing with demons in them, so I am inclined to keep an open mind in situations like this. And yet, if they are real, these instances are then rare. Hence my problem in coming up with the sermon for y'all today, because few of us are struggling with the kind of intense, literal possession by one demon, let alone a legion of them that the scriptures here witness too. So maybe we should just skip over, go to some part where Jesus is telling us to love one another, something that we can apply, you know, kind of like Thomas Jefferson, who cut all the supernatural stuff out of his copy of the Bible. Maybe we should just do a Thomas Jefferson Leave it out. But you know, this dimension, the, the, uh, the plain sense or literal dimension, isn't the only dimension of the Scriptures. A few years ago, a small group at St. George's read together this book called Reviving Old Scratch. Do we have the slide? Can you go to the slide? Do we have it? Yeah, your name? We got it? Yeah, go for it. We, got this, we read together this book, Reviving Old Scratch, Demons and the Devil for Doubters and the Disenchanted. Um, you know, I know that the title freaked out some people, that's for sure. 
Um, but we had, I was going to say we had lovely conversations. I don't know if it's lovely. Not a lovely conversation, but... Um, it was written by Richard Beck, who's a professor of psychology at Abilene Christian University. Um, he does prison ministry, and the church that he attends is this tiny little Pentecostal church um, that uh, has a lot of street people, a lot of people with uh, mental health issues. And he wrote this book for liberal or progressive uh, Christians skeptical of all things demonic. And while Beck doesn't deny the spookier elements of the faith, he says that often if you, it's a problem if you see demons everywhere. He says that there is a whole other dimension we miss if all we're looking for is literal demons and possession. Here's what he has to say. I'd love to have a Christianity full of rainbows and daisies, full of love and inclusion. But there are forces working against love and inclusion in the world. And some of these, those forces are at work in my own heart and in my own mind. We call those forces hate and exclusion to say nothing about everything else that is tearing the world to shreds. But however we might name it, it is pushing the loving, gracious, it is tearing the world to, shred, world to shreds and pushing the loving and gracious rule of God out of the world. Whatever we call the forces, they are tearing the world to shreds and pushing the love, loving and gracious rule of God out of the world. Beck calls these anti-Jesus forces which are still very much at work in the world and in our own hearts. Beck names hatred and exclusion as a couple. I mean, we could add, you know, what about greed? What about self-centeredness? What about unchecked ambition? What about sin? War, racial injustice, the intergenerational trauma of residential schools and its consequences. I recently read a piece on the uptick of mental health challenges in teen girls since the introduction of Instagram. There is like an exact correlation since Instagram came on the scene. A lot having to do with falling short of expectations of beauty and success. It's that little whisper in our ears that we aren't enough, so have to strive for more. Hopelessness and fear, stoked by constant media bombardment. What does this have to do with us? <laughs> it has everything to do with us. These are invisible forces, as in the case of the Gerasene demoniac from our scripture, that strip the good away from us, that drive us away from the love of God and our neighbors to graveyards of isolation and despair. We are wrapped in chain, heavy chains of anxiety, fear, and resentment. These problems aren't simply all in our head, nor does there seem to be an obvious or easy fix. We're caught in a trap, to quote one of my favorite theologians, and we can't walk out. It's the other king, right? While we may not be possessed by literal demons, 
Our world is inhabited by and our hearts are pulled every which way by a legion of forces and powers beyond our control. So no matter, so many of us feel so helpless in the face of the world's ills and our own. We feel powerless because we're dealing with powers beyond our control and beyond our strength to subdue. That's the reality of life, you know. It's not just that we haven't worked hard enough at things. <laughs> and yet, in the face of our powerlessness, the promise of the gospel, the promise that comes to us in the New Testament, is that there is a power greater than all other powers in heaven and on earth. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, we don't negotiate with terrorists, right? Well, apparently, Jesus does negotiate with demons. I mean, here Jesus strikes up a deal that this legion of demons will vacate this suffering man's soul as long as they can set up shop in a herd of uh, pigs instead. I mean, it's, it's not a person. I mean, it's a pig, but it's better than the abyss, I guess, they, they argue. And I mean, there's some bad joke in there about deviled ham. Uh, um, <laughs> um, but then Jesus plays something of a, of, of a prank, because as soon as they hop into this gang of swine, he chases them off a cliff and into the sea, back into the abyss again. The demons are drowned in the deep, back from whence they came. And the man is free. Later we're told that he's no longer naked. In fact, he is fully clothed, and he's in his right mind. He's restored, and he's made new. Jesus casts the demon into the swine and shoved them over the cliff. According to Luke, there is a power that is greater than all the powers that bind us, the earth-creating new life-bestowing, chain-busting power of the living God. The God we meet in Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Oh, are we allowed to talk like this in a united church? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, I'm getting worried here. Uh. According to the New Testament, Jesus came not simply to teach us a new way of being, but he came to break all of our chains, to subdue all the forces in our world aligned against the God of sovereign love and to restore us and all creation to wholeness and new life forever. That's what the New Testament teaches. And the thing is that according to the New Testament too, it's not just that God will do this, but it's already begun. The chains have already been broken. On the cross, Jesus, God in the flesh, took all the suffering an agony of our demons into himself like the herd of swine 
on the cross, Jesus, God in the flesh, was himself thrown off the cliff of death, descending into the depths of Hades for our sake, dragging our demons into the abyss with him. On the cross, Jesus himself was cast out so that our demons would be cast out. And by, that, by the power of his resurrection, the chains binding our hearts and souls would be broken once and for all and for good. According to the New Testament, the great victory has already been won. This is like D-Day. It's the beginning of the end of the war. The jailbreak has begun. The demons are in retreat, and faith is learning to live in the light of that fact, that in the end, God wins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Honestly, this might be the hardest thing to believe about Christianity. I mean, just look around. Poverty ain't been destroyed. Addiction ain't been destroyed. Greed, suffering, they are still alive and well. I mean, even in the scriptures, the people who see it, they don't buy in. They don't believe what they see. The pig owners, the guys who run the feedlot, run all over the place telling everybody that Jesus ran their herd off a cliff. The whole town turns out to get the story and we're told that there are no high fives or celebrations, but that they're afraid. They're afraid and they tell Jesus to leave. I mean, he did just run their whole livelihood off a cliff, right? But God's freedom and healing is costly. It's going to change the way we do things. Maybe they think it's a trick, right? Maybe they think it's too good to be true. Maybe they're so accustomed, though, to the way that things are that they can't imagine the world or their lives another way. You know, I'm reminded of the great Catholic novelist G.K. Chesterton's line about fairy tales. He says, in fairy tales, the point isn't that dragons exist. The point is that they can be defeated, right? It's easier to believe in the existence of demons, frankly, than it is to believe they can be defeated. And it's even harder to believe that they have been defeated. Maybe we're so accustomed to the way that things are that we can't imagine the world a different way, even though we know that it's no way to live. So, friends... In the name of Jesus Christ, I invite you to imagine that, yes, indeed, the legion of oppressions that pull us every which way can be defeated. Not only that they can, but they, that they have already been thrown down under the feet of Jesus Christ. That we need not be townspeople plagued by fear and anxiety anymore, but that we might be clothed in Christ, that we may put on that beautiful shimmering baptismal gown and be put into our right minds, hope, 
faith and love. Or in the words of that great theologian, Fatboy Slim, all of your demons will wither away. Ecstasy comes and they cannot stay. You'll understand when you come my way because all of my demons have withered away. Believe it, friends. Believe it and return to your home declaring how much God has done for you. Amen.